Well, thanks again for being here this morning. It is a morning of transitions for us. Kids are moving up. Many of you uh, have kids, and so you have done this thing where you step back into the routine of school. If you don't have kids, you've probably had some kind of transition. You're probably using summertime in the past tense, right? Like that became something that happened in the past this week. We're moving into the fall. Pumpkin spice flavored things are in abundance now. Uh, Many of us who sent our kids back to school this week got new grade levels and new challenges. This was a reality in my family because now we have a kindergartner. So we sent our oldest off to school at Robert Frost Elementary School. And some of you were there, many of you were there, when we served at Robert Frost Elementary School and helped them get ready for the school year through Community Serve Day. I can't tell you how cool it was to walk up to my son's school and to say to him, hey, look, that beauty bark that we helped lay and all the stuff that we did together as a church, that's still here. Like all that stuff that we were able to do together was still going on. I'm so glad that we're at your school. And he could just kind of take that in a little bit. It was a really cool day. The transition went well. It's ongoing, of course, but it went well. And so we're in a season of transition uh, in in the life of our church together because we're talking about our values. That's what we spend the September sermon series doing is talking about values. And our values are these four G's here at Bethany. They're outlined in the front of your bulletin, gather, grow, go, and generosity or give. These values don't change, but the way that we interpret them year in and year out needs to change to reflect the season of life that each of our churches are in. Over at Bethany Ballard this morning, they are celebrating an exciting new day because they've moved from one service to two. They've grown. God has blessed their ministry. It is an awesome day for them, so we're going to pray for them in a little while. But the way that they are interpreting the value of gather, which is what we're talking about, the importance of being together in worship, meeting with one another, hearing God's word, that's feeling a little different for them because they're excited. They got so much room for people now. Here at Eastside, I want us to be shifting our thinking, making a transition to something I'm just calling invitation. But I want us to increasingly be a church that sees these values as invitational values, where we say, you know what? The church that I'm a part of really values being together. We value worship. We value hearing the scriptures and singing. And that's of value to people who aren't here yet. What I think we'll see as we talk about the scriptures this morning is that worship is vital to the life of the church. It's in a lot of ways what the church is made to do. But worship isn't just for us. What we gather together to do here together can't just end with us. It has to go further than just the people in this room, just the walls of Peter Kirk Community Center. We have so much more that God wants us to do. And so just to start at the top, I'm going to give us kind of an outline and a few definitions. You have an outline in your bulletin, and there are three questions that we're going to talk through. If we talk about values, we can kind of get really abstract, kind of leave it out there as this thing that's like, okay, well, what does that really mean? And I'm hoping that these three questions really help us take these things to heart. And they are, who am I, what's my calling, and how do I do it? So for each of our values, last week we talked about generosity, now we're talking about gathering. What does it say to us as individuals that we value gathering, being together as a church? What is our calling? What is the shape of the life we're supposed to lead as a result of that? And how do we do it? This is the nuts and bolts, practical stuff. When we gather, we joyfully celebrate who God is, and we seek his renewal in our community. That's the definition of gather that we're going to work with this morning. And we're going to draw this from a couple of places in the scriptures. We're going to bounce around a little bit, but we're mostly going to be in Psalm 34, which Maddie read for us. First, I want to invite you to turn with me to Genesis 1. And this is where we're going to be trying to answer the question of who am I? Genesis chapter 1. 
This is the creation account. God has created the heavens and the earth. He's created all the living creatures. And then the cherry on top, he creates humankind. So listen to this. Genesis 1, 26. Who am I? God said, let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. What's happening here? The story of creation is unfolding. God is revealing that he created everything. He is making this abundantly clear to the readers of this text. By the way, sidebar, every kid in our classes this morning is learning the same lesson. God created the world. They're learning this simple phrase that they can kind of build some of their theological building blocks around. So parents, as you have your drive home later today, I'm giving you a little heads up. You can talk to your kids about what you learn in Sunday school today, and they can't tell you nothing. They got to tell you, God created the world, or you can tee that conversation up with them. You're welcome. God created the world. He made land and sea, darkness and light. He's making his most prized possession, people. And what is the unique thing about people? People, unlike anything else in all creation, have a job to do where we are image bearers, where we image God. We reflect the image of God back to him. And that's the answer to this, this question for this section. Who am I? I'm an image bearer. I am someone who is uniquely given the opportunity to show something about God, God's character, God's love, God's mercy, or just simply the appearance of God to the people around me. The primary way we reflect God's image back to him is in our worship. We can reflect his image back to him by displaying virtues, by being kind, by showing his kingdom in the world. But really, it's in this time that we gather together that there's a part of our identity that comes alive it becomes brighter and stronger in a different way than when we're by ourselves. Let me illustrate this for you. Turn with me to Psalm 34, 5. Psalm 34 is where we're going to spend most of our time, so you can just keep this open if you'd like. The psalmist writes this, Look to him, look to the Lord, and be radiant. Can you say that word with me? Radiant. So your faces will never be ashamed. Look to him and be radiant. What does that mean? Saying someone is radiant is an incredibly high compliment, right? Like, you don't just throw that word around, like, every morning when you're heading off to work. Honey, you look radiant today. Good job. We kind of save that one. That's the big guns, right? Radiant isn't an outward appearance. The psalmist is not talking about someone dressed up in their finery, and they got all their stuff going, their teeth are brushed, their hair looks just right. The psalmist is talking about the heart. And when we gather together in worship, when we are radiant in worshiping God, it is from the heart. You and I get to be radiant beings before our God when we worship him, when we gather together in this time. So turn to your neighbor and say to them, you are a radiant being. You're a radiant being. It's not weird because it's true. It's in the scriptures. You are a radiant being. And you know what this means to me as your pastor? This is what I see when I look at you guys. This is what I see when we worship together. This is what I see when I have the privilege of standing here and being the preaching pastor of this church. I see God radiating through each of you. And you may not feel it. You may go, dude, you do not know the week that I had. I don't even feel close to radiant. I see it. I see it. Because this is who God made us to be. He did not make us to be lone rangers and living off on our own. He made us to be people who are united by Jesus Christ, who are in community with one another, and are increasingly looking like him. 
And how do we increasingly look like him? We do it by practicing these moments where we can be radiant, where it takes down to the heart this joy, where we know we're in the presence of the creator, where Jesus is speaking to us, where he's ministering to us, he's binding up our wounds. We become increasingly radiant when we recognize our calling is not to jettison our culture. Our calling is not to say, man, I live at such a fast pace, I've been traveling so much, and my work is so crazy, and my kid's schedule is so crazy, and those things can quickly become the things that we think define us. When we gather together for worship, we can say, no, I'm actually a radiant being who has been given a place in a chaotic society. And this is where we're reminded of who we really are. Your schedule does not define you, Bethany. The stress that you're facing at work right now does not define you. The axioms of the culture that you work in, your industry, your profession, what people just sort of accept as normative practices, that does not define you. And the way that we are reminded of that is when we gather together for worship and we get to practice just being radiant creatures before our God together. The solution is not withdrawing from the chaos that you're in. The solution is being here is being reminded of your identity as a radiant person in the eyes of God. Who are you, Bethany? You are made in the image of God, and when you gather for worship, you radiate that back to him. The Hebrew word for radiant there actually alludes to the image of a stream or a river. So this is really interesting. If you think about where a river or a stream gets its start, it's a spring, or it's mountains, the ice melt, the flow that comes down into the valley. That's radiating outward, isn't it? The stream starts out as this little spring, and it radiates forward. It gets bigger and bigger as it goes. That is our calling. Our calling is not to simply be the people who are already here, but the people who are radiating who God looks like and what he's about into our world, changing our culture, seeking renewal. And our neighbors need to know that by coming here, they can be a part of that. And how will they know that reality unless we tell them? How will they know? that there's this wonderful church that's meeting on Sunday mornings at 10 o'clock at Peter Kirk Community Center. How will they know unless we tell them? That is our calling to be an invitational church. So who are we? You're made in God's image. You're made to worship him. You're made to radiate his glory. You just had that wonderful moment telling someone they looked radiant. Like you can just treasure that the rest of your day, right? Now let's talk about what we're supposed to do with that. This is question number two. What's my calling? Like, what am I supposed to go and be about? Not what am I doing specifically, but what is the shape of my life as a result of this reality? There are two thoughts I would offer here if you want to kind of write these headings down under the second question. First thought is we need to locate our joy, and then we need to locate our refuge, joy and refuge. Here's where I'm drawing this from. Listen to the psalmist again. This is Psalm 34, verse 2. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Boasting in the Lord. What does that mean? A boast, I think as it applies to the text here, is declaring something that's true, something that is inherently true. How can we talk about boasting and not talk about this guy? Right? Doesn't play for us anymore. I get it. He's going to go put on a different jersey today. But Richard Sherman's career was marked by boasting, by declaring things that he believed to be true about the Seahawks, about his role. He created so many memorable phrases, you mad bro, like that's, come on. The type of boasting that he is talking about, though, is in a collective or individual effort. That's what most of us are used to hearing about when we think about boasting. When the scriptures talk about boasting, they're talking about boasting in another, They're talking about boasting not in the actor, but in the author. 
in the one who began all of life and calls us forward in a deeper life with him. When we were singing just a moment ago, when we were singing these great praises to our God, how our souls can rest in God, that is a claim of truth. That is a boast because it's something that's true. But we're not boasting in ourselves. We're not boasting in the things that we're doing. We're boasting in the things that the author of life is doing. That's different than boasting on the football field. We can take that image down now. The psalmist is telling the people, I might have a lot of great things. I might have a lot of capabilities. I might have a lot of stuff. The author of this psalm, we believe, is King David. He's a king. He has whatever he wants. I might have lots of great things, but what is truly great is my God. What is truly great is being in his presence. And we do this when we gather together, when we locate our joy in the scriptures and in prayer, in preaching, even through communion and baptisms and baby dedications. You want to have some fun? Come be here on a baby dedication Sunday. It is fun. It is a joy for all of us to partner together, to pray together for this little child's life, and to commit to raising them in the ways of the Lord together. Single people and married people and people from all walks of life making promises together. You guys, it gives me so much joy when we dedicate a child to the Lord as a community because we're not making it about individual effort. We're making it about what we can do together for the life of that child. It's an amazing moment. That is where we properly locate our joy, is in locating it in the place where God says, this is what you get to boast about. You get to boast about me and what I am doing in and through you. So we need to locate our joy. That's part of the calling. And then locating our refuge is the second part of that calling. We draw this actually from a little bit later in the passage. Maddie didn't read this for us, but I'll read it for us now. Psalm 34, verse 8. O taste and see that the Lord is good. Happy are those who take refuge in him. Happy are those who take refuge in him. If you hear nothing else this morning, hear this. When you face a stressful situation in the week ahead, when you are at your wit's end with your children or with your spouse, this can be your phrase. This can be your mantra. Happy are those who take refuge in him. What does that word refuge mean? In the Hebrew, it simply means a place of trust where you can kind of know what's going to go down. What I think of when I think of a place of refuge for me is my back porch. I can sit on my back porch. It is a place where I can go and be quiet in the midst of the chaos of my home. We have three kids under the age of six. It is a place to trust in God meeting with me and ministering to me and caring for me, and I can receive that. Every one of us needs a place of refuge. And it could be your back porch. I think it should be here in worship. Your worship is your refuge. But so often we try to find other stuff to try to make it work as our refuge, and it really doesn't work. Some of us run off to work, to doing more tasks, sending more emails, trying to accomplish more. There's always more work to be done. Sometimes a refuge can become something that we just return to over and over again, and it's not good for us. One drink can become two, can become three, can become every night of the week, and that can become a refuge, and it's not going to help us. Pornography can become a refuge. Just tuning out and sitting there on your phone and doing whatever. These are all things that we all do. I'm not exempting myself from this. I'm just asking us, how's that refuge going? Because the refuge that my heart needs and that our hearts need are those places of solitude, those places where we can belong to Christ, and it's here. Worship is our refuge. Can you turn to your neighbor and say that? Worship is our refuge. Can you say that, please? Worship is our refuge. I'm telling y'all to tell these truths because they're real. And if you say it, it makes it more real. We need refuge. 
don't you think that your neighbors need refuge too? Your neighbors, my neighbors, they face the same stresses that we do. They face the same challenges that we do. They may have deep, dark things going on that we know nothing about. And if they knew a place of refuge, wouldn't it be great to share it with them? Wouldn't it be great to say to them, look, I hear you. You're having a cup of coffee with your neighbor or a roommate, and they're saying to you, my week was terrible, and my boss is terrible, and these things are hard, and this is really wearing me down. And if you could just say to them, in all the gentleness you got, I hear you. And I know a place where I can go where those things can be cared for, where my wounds are bound up every week, where I'm healed, where I'm ministered to. And if you want to come and join me, I would love for you to join me. All the early disciples of Jesus had to say to the people around them to bring them into Jesus' presence was, come and see. Come and see. That's our invitation, you guys. That is our invitation to people who are stressed, who are freaked out, who are over-functioning, because that's who we are too. Can we make that invitation? Absolutely, because worship is our refuge. It is a place of trust. You want to invite people into places of trust. And who will tell them? Who will invite them? Who will show them that this is a safe place? Us. And a safe place for their children. And a safe place for their families where they can thrive and grow. So, that is our calling. How do we do it? How do we step into this? We've learned who we are. We've learned the shape of our calling. Now, nuts and bolts. How do we do it? Here's the thesis statement. This might just unite the whole morning's message. We gather and worship well by bringing all of who we are to God. All of who we are to God. Read through Psalm 34 this week on your own time. If you don't have a devotional right now, or if you're just looking for a way to get started in the scriptures, just read through Psalm 34. You'll notice there's a tremendous range of emotions expressed throughout the psalm. And not every psalm is like this. Some psalms are psalms of lament, where they're just pouring out before God sorrow and pain. Some songs are songs of joy, the psalms of ascent, where they're just lifting up praises to God. This is kind of a middle ground psalm. This is a psalm that I think reflects most of our hearts, most of our souls. It's like an emotional roller coaster. Sometimes there's crying. Sometimes there's joy and happiness. Sometimes there's feelings of reverence and respect. Sometimes it feels like you're taking your kid to kindergarten and, oh my gosh, what am I supposed to do? I don't understand, but he's doing it. Here he goes. It was an emotional roller coaster for me this week. Trust me. What I think the text is beckoning us to do is to bring everything and to not be afraid and to not be ashamed, to bring all of who we are before God. That is hard to do. As a church, and I'm wired this way too, where we tend to prize what we can think about and how we can use our minds, how the life of the mind matters to God, how intellectually we can engage and connect with God, that's important. But it kind of keeps us cool to the touch. It keeps us at a safe distance. I know this because I'm wired this way. Worship is not meant to be cool to the touch. The way that we engage with God in Jesus Christ, in community, is not meant to be just our brains. And we've talked about this before, the great distance between our heads and our hearts. That's what I'm talking about when I'm saying we're supposed to bring all of who we are to worship. If you've had a terrible week, if you wanted to quit your job this week, bring that with you to worship. Do not leave that at the door. Bring it in here. Lay it before God in our worship. If you took a kid to kindergarten this week and you were feeling like you were on that roller coaster, bring it to worship. If you are struggling with infertility, bring it to worship. If you are struggling with your figuring out what does life need to look like in retirement and how you're supposed to make this thing work, bring it with you. And I have to ask God to let me feel what he wants me to feel when I bring who I am 
in worship. Maybe you're like this too. The image I get in my mind, this is something I try to pray through, is one of those old-fashioned garage doors where you have to literally lift it up. You don't push the button, you lift the thing. That's what my heart feels like sometimes, and maybe some of you can relate to that. It's super easy to connect for me at the head, but my heart needs to be opened up like a garage door. And that's my prayer for us as a church. That's my prayer for myself when I come to worship. I was at a conference a while back, a a Christian conference at a a university, and uh, there was great teaching, great content. It was kind of around this person that, if you've been around here a long time, you know he's one of my heroes, but Dallas Willard, someone that I've learned a lot from, a great teacher, kind of celebrating his life and his ministry. He's passed away five years ago, so these are people talking about his teaching and his theology and all kinds of stuff that they've learned from him. But because it was at a Christian school, there was time to worship, there was time to pray, and this worship team that was leading us was so amazing. I mean, it was a couple of college students and then one kind of grown-up leader, but they just led with such unity and beauty, and they would lead us through old traditional hymns, and they'd lead us through new stuff too. It was really great. And then there was one night when we were in worship together where the worship leader got up there. They'd led us through a few songs, and he said, hey, we're going to teach you an old hymn. It's, it's new to a lot of us, but it's an old hymn. And then we're going to have a guest musician come in and lead us through the last couple of lines of this thing. And we all went, okay, that's a little different. And so they lead us through the first couple of lines. And then the band actually sits down, and somebody presses play, And an audio file starts to play, and it took me a few minutes to figure out what it was. It was Dallas Willard singing that hymn. It was a recording of him from years before, and he had this beautiful baritone voice, like, singing just from the depths of his soul. And in that moment, God ripped open the garage door, and there was my head already engaged in what was going on here, and then my heart got drug along, too. That is my hope for us as a church every single week when we gather for worship, is that that garage door, whatever image you want to use, comes flying open for all of us from the heart, and we are touched in the heart. We are nourished in the heart. All of me was touched by that moment in worship. There was not a part of me that I was trying to hold back or keep away from God. I long for those moments for us, and I long for those moments for our neighbors for these kids and parents that I'm just starting to get to know at my son's school, for the people that live on my block. I want those people to be here, and I want them to know that they can bring all of who they are here. Because most people, most secular people, most people in the world outside of these walls, they think coming to worship means you got to stand up at the right time, you got to sit down at the right time, you got to hit the marks and pray the right prayers, and if you don't, you're out. And that's not our reality in the slightest but we got to break through those stereotypes. we got to punch down those walls for these folks. And we got to make room for them to be here, to invite them here, so that they can be touched head and heart by our mighty God. And we can do it. And God is calling us to do it. Because when we gather, we joyfully celebrate who God is and seek his renewal in our community. Not just for us, but for the people who aren't here yet. We're reminded of our identity as image bearers, that we radiate God's glory back to him. And our joy and our refuge are in God alone. These are the things that we've talked about this morning. I'm giving us a little bit of review. And I want to end by reminding us that the scriptures tell us that worship isn't just for us. This week, read Acts 5, read Acts 16. The New Testament church was marked by these moments where they were worshiping in public or they were preaching in public or they were praying in public. And worship drew people in to Christ. 
It drew them into what God was doing. It wasn't that they said all the right things or they did all the right stuff or they were the snazziest looking guys on the block. What it was was worship. Simply focusing on God. And it drew them in. A while back, uh, I was feeling pretty spent, pretty run out. And I was telling uh, one of my mentors about this. And he said to me, well, do you get a chance to worship? And I go, yeah, you know, on Sundays it's different for me. You know, I work for a church and... On Sundays, there's all kinds of stuff to do, and I've got to make sure this is happening and this is happening. We have a great team, but, you know, da-da-da-da-da. And he just looks at me and he goes, you need to worship. You just need to sit there and worship. And I just so needed to hear that. And I'm not saying this to brag or draw attention to myself. If you know me well, you know that is not my goal. But that is why some of you may have seen the shift just in how I treat Sundays. I'm not running around anymore after the first song starts. When Bree gets up here, I want to be in here. And I've got my little spot because we are all creatures of habit. We've got our little pews and our little sections. And I've got the spot that I know that I can come to. And it is so valuable to me as the leader of this church to sit and be in worship because I cannot give what I do not have. And I cannot lead well unless I'm connected to Christ. So you need to know that this is a value I'm trying to live into as well. And I'm saying it from a place where I have pushed down my need for worship sometimes. And we all do this. And what I'm asking us this morning is to say, don't push down your need for worship. And don't kid yourself and say your neighbors don't need to be here. That it's easier to avoid the conversation. We'll talk more about how to do this and tools to do this because we all need to be equipped to do this well. But if we are going to build a culture of invitation here, it has to start with us. It has to start with us being intentional about how we come to worship, that we bring all of who we are, and we don't neglect to gather together, like it says in Hebrews 10, do not neglect this time. So thank you for being in worship. And start dreaming with me about who needs to be here too. Would you join me in prayer? Gracious God, we're so thankful that when your word speaks to us. We don't get to control it. We don't get to say yes or no, really. We just get to hear from you and ask that you would carry faithfully to completion what you desire in this time. So as we get ready to respond through singing, through praising you, you may have been putting people in our hearts that we need to invite and just say, come and see. And we lift those people up to you. We lift those faces up to you, those friends, those neighbors, those relatives, co-workers. We lift up those lives to you, God. People also made in your image who are longing for a place of refuge. Would you swing wide the door for us to speak to them and to invite them? And we don't have to know all the outcomes. We just have to be faithful. So God, equip us for greater and greater faithfulness in the week ahead. Touch us head and heart and all of who we are. May these words that we're able to sing now, may they be more than just words. May they be a rallying cry for our hearts to come to you again and again and expect you to pour out your life into our lives. Father, thank you. We lift up this time to you. We pray in the mighty name of Christ.